Welcome to Wormhole Waffles, a Stargate podcast. Welcome to Wormhole Waffles. I'm your host, Chelsea, and with me is my co-host, Arzu. Hello. And we're together in person. Yes, we are. It's been six months since we last saw each other, so this is great. Very excited. Yes. So last week, we talked about bloodlines and fire and water, which had a lot of great team-building moments. And today, we'll be talking about episodes 13 and 14, Hathor and Singularity. Hathor premiered on October 24th, 1997, was written by David Karen, J. Larry Carroll, and Jonathan Glasner, and directed by Brad Turner. Singularity premiered on October 31st, 1997, was written by Robert C. Cooper, and directed by Mario Azaparty. So I initially thought that these two episodes would go perfectly together since they both feature two lady wolves, but they don't actually show near T in Singularity, so we'll have to wait for her proper debut. So you have another lady ghoul to look forward oh. to. Yeah. So, Arzu, would you please give us a quick summary on what happened in these two episodes? Sure. So in Hathor, they find Hathor, who is, they believe her to be, and she believes herself to be, the bride of Ra, but also the enemy of Ra. And she shows up on base and starts causing a lot of trouble Mm -hmm. for all the guys. Um, Very quickly gets them to do her bidding, allegedly with, like, pheromones, but... We've known these guys long enough to know that it probably didn't require all that much effort in the first <laughs> place. Basically taking Daniel as her like consort and Jack as her first Jaffa. Jaffa. <laughs> Sam and the other ladies on base, of which there are like three, are like... I counted eight total. Okay, eight total, but really <laughs> now. Basically want to put a stop to this and they manage, but Hathor gets away. And then in the next episode, Singularity... They are traveling to another world to take a picture of a black hole. Yes. Yeah, they want to take a picture of a black hole. Instead, they find thousands of people dead and a single child surviving. A child named Cassandra. They bring her back and realize that she's got a growth made of the same material as the Stargate growing mm-hmm. inside her mm-hmm. that is very close to reacting like a nuclear bomb. So Jack's like, what if we just put the child in the basement and blow her up? <laughs> and Sam's like, ah. Uh, Let's reconsider that plan. Yeah, those are the episodes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's do our quote reveal. Last week I gave you the quote, I suggest we neutralize her. And your guess was that Tilk was speaking about a new woman character in the episode, specifically not Sam, uh, because there are some women causing trouble for SG-1. So Sam delivers the line, not Tilk. But I'll give you a point for suggesting that it's about a new woman character who is causing trouble for SG-1. Yes, that's true. Boy, oh boy, did she cause a lot of trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I mean, I kind of love Hathor because she's, I mean, we don't get very many Lady Golds in general. Mm-hmm. And she's a pretty like feisty character. She's pretty fun. But then again, I sometimes I feel like her character is mostly represented by her wanting to reproduce, which is a little unfortunate. Yeah. I think taking it as a woman whose sole motivation is reproduction, it's a little eh. Taking her as like the queen bee of a colony of worms, I'm like, okay. That's true. It's a little more understandable. But having this sexy half-naked woman walking around going, basically talking, what was she telling Daniel? 
that she wants him to supply the code. The code of life. The code of life, which is certainly one way to put it. Yeah, so she needs the code of life from whatever, how would you say, like, being that is going to host the gold so that it'll be most compatible. Um, So if you want humans to be the host, she needs the code of life, a.k.a. DNA, in order to make the most compatible gold. But because these are worms, Mm -hmm. um, does it need to be sexual reproduction? What do you mean? Like, she needs DNA. Could she use, like, hair? I don't know. Because, you know, she... She has sex with Daniel, and then next thing we know, she's sitting in a bathtub of worms. So I don't think the normal pregnancy cycle was an issue for her. I think, I mean, at the very least, she would have to consume it in some way. Because she has to get it into her body. (laughs) 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 So... There may be more. Yeah, I don't don't know the um, specifics of the... So she could drink his blood. I don't know. Or I guess not drink his blood, like because we inject see, his blood. We see later on, we see a, a, a gold queen who is pregnant outside of a human host body, and it's the gold itself that is pregnant. Mm-hmm. But in this case, since she's in a host body, the gold itself can't really, I don't, I can't really carry the babies because the symbiote is in the head of the host. That's why so, I'm like assuming you're using Hathor's sex organs, but yeah, that's what I'm thinking. But like th- that doesn't explain the carrying because unless the gold start melding DNA with their host, yeah, yeah, I'm not sure about the exact. I need answers. <laughs> you're not gonna get them. Okay. <laughs> Alrighty then. I don't think the creators are that concerned with exactly how gold reproduction works. No, they don't care. <laughs> But I mean, this does bring up the whole thing that I, the idea that I introduced last time about how there are some gold who are queens in terms of being able to reproduce, whereas there are some gold who happen to be in a woman's body but are not capable of reproducing necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, like Apophis's wife probably isn't a reproducing queen, but I, we don't actually get any firm confirmation of that, I don't think. Whereas, like, Hathor definitely is, obviously. If you're going to introduce the lore mm-hmm. of these reproducing worms, then you need to have answers for how the worms reproduce. <laughs> I don't want to tell you. I mean, I guess I would assume that since the gold is in a host body, that the gold sends her own DNA down into the host's womb. And the host takes on the DNA of the male. It's a very liberal interpretation of how the human body works. I mean, (laughs) 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 I'm working with what I got here. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, We do see her later, though, like trying to build her own empire. So it's less about reproducing physically and more about like reproducing emotionally. for her oh i just think something interesting so hathor refers to herself as we she's like we are happy and Mm -hmm. you should be happy to serve us and that kind of thing and i saw somebody on twitter um talk about i wonder if that means that 
Hathor the Gwold is being representative of both herself and the host. And the actress who plays Hathor, uh, Suan Braun, tweeted back that she saw it as just the royal we. That was my thinking, was the yeah. royal we. I didn't even think of it as being, like, two entities. No. But the gold doesn't strike me as that kind of people. No, they're really not. Yeah. Like, the hosts yeah. to them are, like, shoes. No. Yeah. Yeah, so royal we, because she thinks a lot of herself. Um, but it is interesting to see also that she kind of switches back and forth between using a normal human voice and using a gold voice. So this is introducing to the audience for the first time that they are capable of switching back and forth, which will be important because sometimes they use that to deceive people into thinking they're not gold when they are. Which I think is what she was doing here anyway. Yeah. When she first came in, she was yeah disguising her true identity. Yeah. And then, and then even later, like when she wanted something from the guys, she would use her human voice. And mm -hmm. then when she was in gold mode. Yeah suddenly got all scary yep oh hathor <laughs> yeah this whole episode i was mostly thinking like now if only there was just a woman in charge of that base i mean okay listen <laughs> first of all yes second of all i feel like all of this is jack's fault because okay daniel gets pheromoned yeah and then she tries to pheromone the major major the colonel the boss the general the bald guy the general the general <laughs> You keep demoting him. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. After what he does in this episode. After, yeah, exactly. He kind of <laughs> deserved it. Um, and then she tells the general that she wants to pheromone him too. And he rightly looks very hesitant. And then Jack's like, no, sir, you should go for it. Ha Not ha ha. Jack. Yeah, Jack. Jack at first, he's like, oh, well, yeah. Well, he's just like, teasing. He's though. just teasing. Yeah. But had Jack been a little more insistent, he might not have done it. Yeah. So I feel like it's all Jack's fault. Well, wow, okay, you're really reading a lot into that joke, yeah. but okay. <laughs> I just feel like he started it. Oh, okay. But then again, Daniel, um, I was ragging on him while watching the episode two, which you actually heard this time around because we watched it together. And not only did Daniel forget once again that he is married, but oh boy, did he forget he was married. <sighs> I mean, it's not entirely his fault because he was drugged. That's true. It's not entirely his fault, but had he remembered he was married in the first place, mm. they would not have been locked in a room with a sexy lady for a conversation. I guess, too, we need to put some um, warnings, content warnings for rape. Yeah. Once again, male bodily autonomy is just not a thing in this show. Yep. yep. Hathor forces herself upon Daniel, mm -hmm. and he looks terrible afterwards. He really does. Like, and like Practically comatose. And this is not what I'm blaming him for because I'm now realizing in retrospect that's what it sounds like. This is purely me ragging on Daniel's lack of focus at the top of the episode. Mm -hmm. I am not in any way blaming Daniel for being drugged by somebody. I just need to make that extremely clear. Yeah. In like, yeah, the clearest possible terms. Yeah. So yes, I've said my piece. And there's also, I mean, it's not sexual, but a similar issue with Jack because she turns him into a Jaffa, which is a violation of his bodily autonomy. Yeah, she takes his immune system away, mm -hmm. gives him a little crisscross slit on his belly button. Yeah. So yeah, just male bodily autonomy violated all over the place for laughs. Um, 
for laughs. No, I don't think it's supposed to be funny. But it's not treated as seriously as it should be. Except the look on Daniel's face. That was actually surprising. Yeah, that was really depressing. It was depressing, but I was, like, surprised the show went there. Yeah. Usually, like, they didn't when the same thing happened to Jack. Well, I mean, I feel like they treat it seriously, but they also don't revisit it. To, yeah. Like, ask the guys if it because at first it seems like even when Hathor leaves and they're no longer under her pheromonal control, it seems like they don't remember anything that happened. But then Daniel was like, Oh, this is gonna be my DNA in any of the baby symbiotes that you find. So he obviously remembers something. Yeah. Either that or they told him what happened. I feel like I feel like he remembers because that that look on his face is not something he's going to easily forget. Yeah. So again, they need therapy after this episode. And again, I would like to have some words with the writers. Yeah, I don't. It's men this time. It's not. Yeah. But one of the writers was Jonathan Glasner, which is one of the creators of the show. So Jonathan Glasner. Come on. You know better. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's the unfortunate part of this episode. The rest of it was fun, I think. I think so. I think I liked seeing um, Sam interact with the doctor, whose mm-hmm. name I forgot. Dr. Frazier. Dr. Frazier. Like the two of them mm-hmm. actually had some meaningful time together. And granted, mm-hmm. most of it was complaining about the guys, but yeah, you know, at least they got to interact a little bit. What did you think about them using using their feminine wiles to get out of the locked room? I think that was a very 1997 solution to that particular problem. Yeah. Yeah. I'm torn about it. I'm like, well, it worked, but was it necessary? Not only it worked, but I feel like given the the magnitude of the pheromones, like it was a bit of a reach. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, because it's not like Sam hasn't been present Mm -hmm. in front of them. And it's also not like Jack doesn't have the hots for Sam generally. Yeah. So I don't know what changed all of a sudden, except that they realized that this is a plot point. Well, I mean, I guess like Hathor's pheromones in general just kind of... You know, no, I know that's the explanation, but yeah. I don't know that enough changed between Sam just existing around Jack in particular mm-hmm. and the women deciding to employ their feminine wiles. I don't know that enough changed to make sense of this. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I feel like if the writers thought about it a little more, they could have come up with a better way. If the writers thought about it a little more, we wouldn't have had men get raped twice this season. Yeah. And we're only on season one. Right. <laughs> I feel like it's, it doesn't usually happen like this. I don't I don't think we're gonna get as much of this kind of bodily autonomy stuff later on. So okay, good. Unless I'm misremembering, but I feel like all the problematic stuff is right out the gate. Everybody gets autonomy <laughs> in season two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, some like this episode too, thinking about how Hathor needed to have sex with Daniel in order to get his DNA makes me think about like how we just learned about the Unas and mm-hmm. like how the Gould, original Gould queens had to do that with Unas. I'm like, that must have been complicated. <laughs> would imagine that transferring to human hosts would be a more pleasant procedure. Probably. Because Hathor actually kind of mentions that. It makes me wonder if Hathor was originally in an Unas body. Because she said, we do particularly enjoy your species method of producing or something. I wonder how the Unas reproduce then. Yeah. Well, I mean, probably the same thing, but... Less fun. Yeah. 
less squishy. Squishy? Less squishy. Because their bodies are like really tough. Oh, okay. Never. I was like, if it's squishy, I think you're doing it wrong. But <laughs> that's not no, what I'm you because their skin is so tough. Yeah, that makes more sense. And they have like, claws and stuff like that. Mm, kinky. <laughs> oh goodness. But yeah, I um I counted eight women, but only like half of them actually do any work to retake over the base because there were three women. There were five women who were in camo and then three women who were in like more formal wear. Mm-hmm. And we never saw saw those three women. They clocked out and went home. Right? I'm like, wait a minute, why weren't all eight of them? They were like, not my problem, not my monkeys, not my circus, and just went home. And I'm like, did you just not want to pay more extras to actually do some work? I mean, that's probably it. You send them home sooner, you don't have to pay them as much. Yeah. Less chance of them getting dialogue and asking for a bump in pay. Yeah. It all comes down to money at the end of the day. Yeah. It was impressive how quickly Hathor made the babies, though. Because I was like, yeah, like an hour maybe. Just sitting in a tub of worms. Yeah, it was very gross. I think they look like shrimp. I disagree <laughs> because I like shrimp and you don't. Yeah, I don't like shrimp, so I'm like, yeah, that looks like shrimp. I like shrimp, so I'm like, that's a worm. <laughs> worms with very hard shells. They do not have hard shells. They are very squishy. No, they were hard because they were like clicking against each other. I assume those were the claws. Well, they don't have claws yet. Well, they don't have claws at all. They, they have, have little feet. Am I making that up? No, they have like little wing type things to help them maneuver, but... They don't have little legs? No, they don't have legs at all. Just kidding. Okay. They're like snakes with tiny little fins on the side. Because they're originally aquatic creatures. Right. I should say bugs are gross, so I don't actually look that closely at them. <laughs> but to me, they just look like centipedes, but... But you've previously called them cute. No, it's because they squeak. I just don't really want to look at them. I just don't really want to look at them that closely. (laughs) Oh my goodness. It's too bad that they couldn't like um, keep any of them intact to study. Yeah. That's okay. They'll find more, I'm sure. Eventually. Oh, and then this kind of also brings back in a thread from Bloodlines. Mm Mm-hmm. So in Bloodlines, Tilk's son, Ryak, undergoes the ceremony to become a Jaffa, and so he gets the little pouch implemented, and then they're like, okay, well, he needs a Primta right away, or he's going to die. I think, I mean, they've kind of established now in this episode that if you get them into a sarcophagus before introducing a Primta, then you can get rid of that pouch. Mm -hmm. So it makes me wonder why they didn't try to find a sarcophagus for Ryak. I guess just because, like, Apophis probably has one, but it's obviously going to be heavily guarded. Not only that, I think Ryak had hit that point where he was just, like, real sick. Yeah. You know, like, Jack had a bit more time, I think. I don't think, even if they knew where to find one, I don't think Ryak was going to make it. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. It's just too bad that they... Yeah. Couldn't heal him instead of letting him stay a Jaffa. Maybe they can, like, find a super-powered sarcophagus <laughs> that also kills the worm. No, I I mean, I get the impression that once you have one inside you that it's pretty much done with. Although, I mean, I don't know for sure because I, 
I don't recall seeing any Jaffa use a sarcophagus later on. So we'll have to keep our eye out for that if any Jaffa use it and they still come out with their pouch. Hmm. Okay. Because I think Something it's generally... Well, it's usually that the Jaffa don't need the sarcophagus because their symbiotes heal them. Right. So they don't usually have a reason to. And also one of those things that the Gould are very protective of their technology and probably don't think the Jaffa are worth using it on. Yeah, I could see that. So I guess I'm not, I don't know for sure if he could get rid of their pouches. But then I feel like if you could easily get rid of their pouches like that, then more people would. What I'm hearing is we don't get an answer. No. Boo! I don't think. We'll see. We'll see if if there ends up being a Jaffa uses sarcophagus that I don't remember about. Hmm. I do think it was funny, too, that, like, so when they find Hathor in the hot tub with all her little babies, and they shoot her and shoot into the water, and it, like, it, it like, explodes into fire, I think Hathor was faking being hit by any of the bullets, because as soon as they turn their backs... She gets out of the tub and sneaks out the back door of the locker room. That seems very on brand for her to just make a huge stink out of it and then be like, actually, LOL, JK. Yeah. Which means that she's pretty hardy because she laid in a tub on fire for a few minutes. The gold is probably the idea. Yeah, that's true. I feel like there's only so much that you can... <laughs> it's, it's flame retardant. It just... Protective coating so she doesn't burn. But I mean, she really books it out of there because she manages to go grab her entire costume before <laughs> going to the Stargate. It was in a bag by the door. It was ready to go. Because <laughs> she had like her headpiece and her dress and everything. So she was not going out partially dressed. No, not with a dress like that. Mm -mm. And that means she was able to figure out their dialing system really quickly too. So she's incredibly smart. I guess so. She, she might've known it already from no. when she first came. No, no, because I mean, she's been in the sarcophagus for 2000 years when she was there before they used a DHD. Right. What do they use now? They use a computer. Right. Right. So the fact that she figured out how to use a computer on her own, unless maybe before all that went down, she had one of the soldiers, like, show her how to use it. Well, she was probably, yeah, if she's planning this far ahead, she probably planned an exit strategy. Yeah. Maybe while the girls were using their feminine wiles. Yeah. She, she was busy asked. learning about computers. Yeah. I mean, I could see it. Yeah. She's industrious. Look she is. That. She's very smart. Mm -hmm. So you have any last thoughts on Hathor? Um, justice for Daniel. <laughs> yeah. Even though I have my issues with Daniel, justice for Daniel. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like we wish that he was strong enough to resist Hathor's mind control so that he could be true to his wife, blah, blah. It's not even the but... infidelity, because I don't, I wouldn't call assault infidelity. Yeah, that's true. It's just Daniel. If you weren't, I need Daniel to stop getting distracted by shiny things at the <laughs> end of the day. Yeah. This is what it comes down to. Yeah. Is he just is a very distractible boy? Well, in this case, it wasn't his fault. It so. wasn't his fault, but yeah. but the next episode, actually, he's barely in the next episode. Yeah, I'm going to tell myself he's thinking about his wife. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me feel better. 
I mean, he probably is that, you know, reflecting on recent events and thinking about her and I wanted to sit this one out and think about Sheree a little bit. Yeah. I don't know if that's what he was. It's Daniel, so he's probably looking at a shiny rock on the ground, but like it helps me feel better. <laughs> okay, well then let's get into the next one then. In this next episode, Singularity, Teal'c does actually refer to Nearty as he, but Nearty is more commonly represented as a goddess rather than a god. Hmm. Um, in in um, Hindu scriptures, um, she is usually represented as a goddess uh, personifying death, decay, and sorrow. Um, occasionally is represented as a male. And then we, we will meet her in a later season, and it's a lady ghoul. So. Well, there we go. Yeah. A gender fluid god. Yes. Definitely. But then that makes me wonder, like, if Teal'c has met her previously, and she had a male host back then. Oh, that's like a possibility. I hadn't Since thought of that. calling near to he. Yeah. I hadn't considered that. Mm-hmm. I like that doesn't realize that she's taken on a new host. Well, it's Teal'c who adjusts himself yeah. when he meets her again. Yeah. Cool. Either that or like he's only just heard stories and doesn't know the gender. I don't know. Either way. I trust Teal'c to adjust. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's respectful. A respectful king. <laughs> you have no choice but to stand. <laughs> but what I did find strange was that he could identify the god by the ship. I'm like, that's a bit of a stretch. It's Teal'c. It's magic. What? I mean, because all gold have different sizes of ships and things. So there would have to be something particularly unique about each ship to make it identifiable by the god. And that... License plate. <laughs> you can just see the license plate. <laughs> I don't know. That just seemed a bit of a stretch for me. Especially because there's, in a later episode in the season, like the very last episode of the season... He, it seems like he's never been in one of these larger ships before, which doesn't make any sense because he was a first prime. So it seems like in this first season, they're like really struggling to figure out how much Teal'c should know about world ships. <laughs> Maybe Teal'c's just messing with them all by changing his level of knowledge. Uh, yeah, because like right now he seems super knowledgeable, but then in the last episode, he's not knowledgeable. I'm like, I don't, I don't understand right <laughs> what do you know and what do you not know <laughs> yeah. oh dear should we talk about sam and what's her name cassandra cassandra yeah they had a really sweet bond they did but i do like i know at the end teal calls their bond like a mother's intuition and sam's like uh-uh she's gonna go stay with somebody else but then i do wonder at why they would play up this bond so much only for sam to be like no thank you I think it was more like because Sam was talking about how she had an instinct that the bomb in Cassandra's chest was not going to go off. I think it was a scientist instinct because, you know, deducing that when Cassandra got close to the gate, she got sicker. And when she got far from the gate, she got better. It's like, okay, the scientist in me is understanding, you know, the correlation here. And then the men are just like, Oh, it's because of your maternal instinct. No, I get that. But I'm like, yeah, it was a pretty parental bond. Yeah. 
up to this point. Right. And then Teal brings it up and she's like, Mm-mm. and I'm like, well, then what, what were you doing other than just like being a decent human being? <laughs> well, they, they do stay very close. I mean, I think her thing is like, she can't adopt Cassandra because she doesn't have a partner outside of her job. So, um, and she's gone all the time. Yeah. So she doesn't have anybody to look after Cassandra while she's off world. Like I objectively understand why it's a bad decision for her to have children like yeah. at this moment. Yeah. But I suppose the setup seemed like they were heading that way. And I think realistically in sci-fi, had she been a man, she probably would have adopted him. No problem. Right. Very Mandalorian baby Yoda, but <laughs> you know what I mean? But even, even if it was like, you know, Daniel who had the bond, he wouldn't have been able to adopt her either because of the same thing. Like he's gone all the time. Yeah. I feel like they would have been less hesitant to do it. Cause they're like, what's the matter? Somebody also babysit her. Cause he's a guy. He can just be the dad. Right. I'm blaming men for this one. <laughs> well, as they suggest in the, at the end of this episode, Dr. Frazier does adopt her. Oh, good. And so Sam gets to be like the auntie. That's good. Yeah. And we, so we do see Cassandra a couple more times. From Toronto? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they come up with a cover story for her. It's like, you're not from an alien world. You're from Toronto. <laughs> and as a native Torontonian, um, it's Toronto. That second T is silent. Yeah. Which is something Cassandra's going to need to practice if she ever wants to pull that off. Yeah, because if someone who's really from Toronto talks to her, they're going to be like, um, no, babe, you're not. <laughs> Unless they're like, you were born there, but I don't think you ever lived there. Right. I just thought that was funny. <laughs> yeah. She's going to get found out real quick. And oh, yeah. She also doesn't Cover have, blown. Doesn't have a Canadian accent. You know, doesn't say A in a boot. And... <laughs> <laughs> That's easy enough to develop. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I do, I really love Cassandra, and I'm really glad that we do get to see her again, because she was this really sweet girl, sweet mm -hmm. character. That's good. But yeah, I mean, this was an emotional episode. It was nice watching with you, because I got to see your reaction. It's like, <laughs> Sam and Cassandra were, like, going down the elevator shaft into this nuclear bunker. Just a lot of yelling. <laughs> like, what? What? Because, okay... You all know I love Jack, but um, he's like, put that baby girl in the basement to blow up. And I'm like, Jack, a couple of questions, babe. First of all, what? <laughs> Second of all, why? I know why, but why? Well, you she know? was going to blow up. And but she didn't. Well, they didn't know that that was going to happen. They should have. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have that scientist instinct. No, because they're stupid. Because yeah. Jack doesn't even know science about things he's ostensibly interested in. <laughs> right? When he was trying to describe a black hole to Teal, I'm like, this is shameful. You say you're into astronomy, and you're like, it's a hole that's black, and it sucks everything up, even light, which is why it's black. And I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> and like, fancy science speak aside. Miss Frizzle would be ashamed. <laughs> I feel like even she covered this in more depth. Yeah. I feel like it's not, a black hole is not that hard to so, <laughs> explain necessarily. Jack is canceled. Um, 
yeah. from science class. <laughs> yes. He's no longer allowed to pretend to be good at astronomy. No. It's a hobby. Yeah. And not one he's particularly good at. No. Idiot. <laughs> yeah, it was really nice watching your reactions in real time. Yes. Yeah. Usually you're just reading my reactions in real time. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, I thought this was a fun episode because it's like, oh, there's an illness. Got to figure out what the illness is, what's causing it. Did you feel it was a little too real? <laughs> They're like, we found thousands of people dead and we don't have a cure for this mystery illness. And I'm like, oh, oh in 2022. Too soon. Just a little too soon. <laughs> but they have some really good quarantine measures, unlike us. They actually follow them. Yep, unlike us. Be like SG-1. Follow the quarantine procedures. Well, so I guess they've learned because they didn't follow the quarantine procedures very well when it was the crystal copy dude mm-hmm. that looked like Jack's son. So it's the second go around. Right. Because that one, he was emitting radiation and they did nothing to protect themselves. <sighs> but this time with a infection, they're like, okay, let's take this seriously. Yeah. <sighs> These people. These people. I thought it was too bad that they didn't take time to go to Cassandra's house and, like, get some of her stuff and decontaminate it and, like, have her, you know, let her have some things from her actual home. Yeah. But maybe that would have been, like, too much for the script. I think it would be because you would have to build a whole set and furnish it with stuff and pay for all that stuff. Well, I mean, you wouldn't even have to, like, show that. You could just have them come back with the with stuff carrying the stuff but does that not decrease the urgency of needing to get out of there well i mean if there's a mystery illness right but it wasn't they weren't like leaving in a rush when they were leaving with cassandra because the eclipse wasn't going to happen for another eight hours did they wait those eight hours well teal and jack did everybody else went back i have no concept of time in this show okay so i don't understand then if they were there for another eight hours why they didn't do that yeah, they had plenty of time to. I mean, Men. they wanted to get her back in general, but it wasn't like a right this minute thing. Because they weren't being chased. Right. And she wasn't showing signs of being sick yet, either. Hmm. So. It's sus. If I were her, I think I'd be salty about, like, not having my favorite doll or something. It's okay, they'll get her a new doll. Yeah. Or a dog! That's true, she got a dog. Yeah. A flight risk dog. <laughs> Yeah, I was just remarking when we were watching it, like how they never put the dog down on the ground. It's either Jack holding it or Cassandra holding it. I'm like, what did this dog do in previous takes to make you hold it the entire time? It just took right off. (laughs) I guess. It looked friendly, though. I mean, it looked like it enjoyed being held. Yeah, maybe maybe that was it. Maybe it didn't want to be put down. Yeah. Just kept like pawing to be picked back up, so they just held it the whole time. Like, okay, fine. And luckily, it was just light enough that Cassandra could actually hold it because it's kind of a medium sized dog. Yeah, that was that that breed is not gonna yeah. stay small for forever. And she's like, what, 10, 12? Something like that. Small um, kid, though. Yeah. But yeah, I'm glad that she got a dog. That's nice. I hope she also gets a psychologist. Yes, I think she needs that more than a dog. Yes, definitely watched her whole people die thousands of people mm-hmm. if anybody needed a therapist it's that kid yep which uh does kind of come up later like her still like dealing with the emotional turmoil of being the last survivor of her planet oh well, there you go yeah 
Kind of makes me think she didn't get enough therapy. Poor child. Yeah. At least she has, uh, she has a good mom now. Yes. Well, not that she didn't have a good mom before. But, but she has a good mom now as well. Yeah. And even though I, I don't necessarily like the references to maternal instinct, I do think that Amanda Tapping put on a great performance of showing a bond with the girl. Yeah, like, it's still an emotional bond. She still yeah. does care. It's just not a maternal kind of care. Yeah. She's not a bad person. Yeah. But I feel like it's the first time we've seen Sam be that emotional. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, because she says that you're not, she wasn't, like, she's not supposed to be feeling that emotional. Because right. the military. Yeah. Or the Jedi. Whatever you prefer. <laughs> we do not form connections. We do not form connections or attachments mm-hmm. in either the military or the Jedi. Well, the military, you're allowed to form attachments outside of work, just not at work. My ship will sail anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I'm determined. Well, I mean, you can continue shipping them. I'm going to. Yeah. We need to still keep thinking of like a good ship name. Sam Jack. <laughs> Sam Jack. Sam Jack. Jack Sam. No, don't like it. Don't like either. Jam. Jam. <laughs> Better than Sack. <laughs> <laughs> we love Jam. So much. Jam Sack. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, don't make it gross. Okay, Jam. Jam. It's jam for now. We're jamming. We're jamming with jam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh my goodness. So Teal and Cassandra were very cute. Mm-hmm. We love a big grumpy man who's good with kids. Yep. Yeah, he was really sweet with her. It was nice. Mm-hmm. I feel like he was sweeter with her than he was with his own son, but... But that's because he's got to be like a gruff, stern parent who right. wants what's best for his son. Whereas like with this kid, he just likes a kid who's yeah. in trouble. That's true. Oh, this was the first and possibly the last time, because I don't remember happening other episodes, but maybe it does... Um, that when they first come onto the planet, they put like, like their own billboard saying, did you notice that? No. Yeah. There was like a blue sign and it was like, welcome to Hanka project 169 planet PX eight, nine, eight, seven Douglas McLean Memorial observatory, John Smith commanding. Huh? Yeah. So it makes me wonder who I need to look up who Douglas McLean is. I don't know if that's a real person or not. Maybe the space just went above and beyond. Maybe somebody on the crew, honestly. Yeah, maybe it's a crew name. Somebody, like, or somebody close to the crew maybe died recently. Maybe. Because it's Douglas McLean Memorial Observatory. Yeah, could be. Or, like, somebody on the set team, like, the set deck team, like, their father or something. Yeah, could be. Because then, like, John Smith commanding is like, oh, just John John Smith. Smith. Yeah. (laughs) But I don't. It's possible that we see that another time or two, but I don't really remember it. So it's kind of interesting that they establish that there are some cases where they establish a permanent presence on another world. Mm -hmm. um, And sometimes they don't. I did think it was interesting that they basically spent millions of dollars on this observatory on another planet and they just abandoned their equipment there. Yeah, that sounds about right. It's like that thing where you have to use the budget or you don't get next year's budget. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's what it is. (laughs) Well, I can kiss all that money goodbye. 
Well, they used it already. They don't care. Yeah. Well, I'm sure they were eventually hoping to recover all the equipment. I think so. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, Sucks to be well. them. Yep. I did notice uh, a couple things when Cassandra had passed out and they were giving her chest compressions. So there's a continuity error. Her shirt goes from being closed open to closed open quite a few times. Oh, dear. <laughs> and I did also notice, this must be like a, an onset rule, that the actor giving the chest compressions was a woman. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that must be a rule because the little girl, you know, needs like for a, woman for a female minor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Good to know they were thinking of these things back then. Yeah. Okay, so we don't really get to see much of Nearty this episode yet, but we did see a good bit about Hathor. Do you have any other thoughts about Our Lady World? She needs to learn that no means no. Yes. And drugs means no. And silence means no. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I hope that doesn't happen again. Mm -hmm. Do you think these episodes hold up for a modern audience? Other than that. Yeah. I think the second one does. Mm -hmm. Singularity does. I think Hathor is a very 90s sci-fi with the half-naked white lady being like, I'm Egyptian. And I'm like, (laughs) okay. And like the bad wig and the use of the feminine wiles to save the day. Nothing against female sexuality, nothing against women owning it, but it felt very late 90s. Right. So, yeah, that's true. I don't think there were any racial issues in these two episodes, though. Other than the white lady being like, I'm ancient Egyptian. That's true. Yeah. Although, I mean, I guess kind of in the show's defense, we do see other gold who are also white. So, I mean, they have like all races kind of covered. I know, but given where she comes from. Yeah. That's where I'm a little... I'm almost wondering if they're trying to cover their tracks because they have Sam do some research and she's like, oh, this one theorist says that Hathor is also Aphrodite and... But she's pulling a lot from like the Mediterranean and the Middle East and a whole lot of ladies who aren't supposed to look that white. Right. So it's like they were trying to cover their tracks in the wrong direction. That's true. Like, y'all needed a Mediterranean lady. (laughs) Yeah. At the very least. I don't know what to tell you. It's 1997. Like, it is what it is. Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts on these two episodes that we haven't discussed? I do not. I was thinking in Hathor, I thought it was really interesting how... Okay, so these archaeologists discover the sarcophagus in a Mayan temple. Mm -hmm. And they're most of them were killed. The ones that were inside and actually saw Hathor were killed. And the ones who were outside were like, well, the only researcher who has done this type of th- stuff is Dr. Daniel Jackson. And so I guess them in combination with the Mexican government just ships the sarcophagus to Daniel's workplace. And I'm like, <laughs> since when is a government willing to ship an artifact like that at all given how large it is i feel like it'd be more realistic that they would have called him and be like hey we have this thing that you would probably be interested in we would love for you to come look at it unless it's get this thing out of my country but then at the same time when would a government ever see something that big and valuable and be like yeah let's send it to the states yeah i feel like they would hold on to it for sure and invite people to come research it but then definitely want to keep it 
you know, or at the very most, send it back to Egypt. But yeah, they didn't want to. They didn't want to pay to send everybody to Mexico to film the episode. <laughs> yeah, basically. That's what it was. But I mean, it must have cost thousands of dollars to pack that thing up and ship it, and then like. I mean, I don't think that matters to a government. I think it's more the principle of it. I guess. But then even like getting it into the SGC, it seemed like Daniel didn't know that it was coming. So they just like figured out where he worked and shipped it there. I guess. I don't know. All, like, the logistics of this <laughs> is annoying me. I get really hung up over the little details like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So next week, we'll be watching episodes 15 and 16, Korai and Enigma. And you're welcome to watch along with us. Enigma introduces some characters that will continue to provide some good stories throughout several seasons. The Tolan, for those of you familiar with them already. And Arzu, it's time for your next quote. Okay. Are you ready? Yep. What if their idea of a simple trial is a simple beheading? Okay. They are on another world. Mm -hmm. They've encountered new people. They've done something wrong. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you have to go on trial, whatever. And Daniel is totally willing to roll with this simple trial. And he's like, it's fine. It's a simple trial. And then Jack goes, what if their idea of a simple trial is a simple beheading? Like in that sarcastic way that he does. <laughs> and that's my guess. Okay. Well, we'll find out next week if you're right. So that's it for today. If you want to talk to us about Stargate, you can find us on our podcast Twitter page at Wormhole Waffles. You can find me on Twitter at Chelsea Fairless. Arzu, where can everyone find you? So you can find me on Twitter at Arzuameen. You can find the Geeky Waffle on Twitter at Geeky underscore Waffle. We are the Geeky Waffle on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. And we are at thegeekywaffle.com. That's where we have all of our other shows, all of our reviews. I write there. Chelsea writes there. It's a whole good time. And we are on Patreon, patreon.com slash thegeekywaffle. Thanks for joining us today. And we'll see you on the other side of the event horizon.